bow with me in prayer. Father, we, we just really can't put into words how glorious you are. Father, even if you had never done anything for us, you would be worthy of our praise. You would be worthy of our affection and our adoration simply because of who you are. That you are the God the only God, the one true God. There's no one higher than you, no one more powerful than you. You are sovereign over all. And yet, you have blessed us with such a great salvation. Father, it's a salvation story that given a million years, we would... We would never be able to come up with something so grand and glorious. Father, because in our sin, we would always, we would always write it in some way that, that depended upon us so that we would get the glory. But Father, salvation, true and genuine salvation, belongs only to you. And it is yours to give. Father, you're the one who does all the work through your Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us from our sin. And so, Lord, you alone get the glory. But, Father, that's the only salvation that would work. It's the only way that we could be saved. So, Father, we just want to say thank you. As we enter into this time where we open up your word and, and, and seek to understand and apply to our lives your truth, Lord, just remind us of you and your glory and your greatness. Father, that's what we need. Father, we need you. And you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to go ahead and turn to the book of Jonah. Turn to the book of Jonah. I was 17, and I remember sitting in, the, sitting in the recliner in our living room. It was on a Saturday morning, and uh, I think I had been out doing a little hunting that morning, and I was tired, and I came back in and sat down, and I was going to rest for a few minutes, and everything was fairly quiet in the house, and then all of a sudden, I was kind of awoken to reality uh, by a scream, and it was my mom, and she was screaming for help. Somebody help, somebody help. And uh, I think she was calling for my dad, if I remember, but he wasn't, he couldn't hear, he wasn't um, in the room, and I didn't know what was going on, but I knew that someone needed help, and it sounded like my mom. Uh, that needed help. She was the one that was yelling, and I jumped up out of the recliner as quick as anybody could, I think, and I raced around into the kitchen, and there I saw my three-year-old sister not breathing. Uh, She was standing there, and it was obvious that she was choking on something, and uh, it wasn't one of these 
chokes where you're kind of coughing and choking, no air coming in, going out. She was completely stopped up, her airway was. And uh, my mom was, I think my dad might have been in the bedroom or bathroom, I don't know where he was, but she was trying to get to him. She was about to beat down every door in the house to get to him, understandably. And uh, and so I immediately uh, grabbed my little sister and started doing what you're supposed to do and started doing the Heimlich uh, maneuver on her. And I, I did that and I thought, I'm going to break this girl's ribs, but it doesn't matter because I got to get this thing out. And I did it several times and, um, and all of a sudden that thing popped out. And I didn't even know what she was choking on. And she took a deep breath and she sucked it right back down into her throat. And she was not breathing again. So I went back to doing the Heimlich maneuver on her, and I, I thought I was wait. I literally was waiting to hear ribs crack because I was just gonna or or something. I was gonna mess up something inside of her, but I got to get it out. So I as hard as I could to do the Heimlich maneuver, and all of a sudden a peppermint shot across the the kitchen, and landed on the floor, and uh, all was well. All was well. Got your attention, didn't I? We are drawn. That's a true story, by the way. I didn't just make that up, okay? Uh, But we are drawn to stories of someone in need of rescue, someone who is on the brink of some kind of tragedy or disaster, and then someone comes in and provides a rescue. We see these stories all the time. If you're on uh, on the internet, where there's there's stories of, of animals getting rescued and people getting rescued, and and, and we, we're drawn to these stories of rescue because we value life. And, and, and there's just something about someone coming to the rescue, as maybe captivating as that story is, and but it's not that original. Probably some of you have been in a similar situation and help someone out in a similar way. As, as, as riveting as a story like that may be, there is a story of rescue. There is a story of salvation. And it, too, is a true story. It is the greatest story of rescue and salvation. Unfortunately, sometimes we can hear it so much that we become numb to it. What if every Sunday I came in and I told you that story of me rescuing my little sister? After about the second time, you would get bored with it. You'd say, okay, we've heard this story. We know how it ends. And understandably so. I won't do that. I'm not going to tell you that story every Sunday. But there is a story of rescue, a story of salvation that we can't grow numb to. In fact, it should become more and more riveting. More and more exciting every time we hear it. It is a story of salvation found throughout the pages of Scripture. And we see this story painted from Genesis to Revelation. And then we see little places all along the way where we get snapshots of this salvation. And one of those places that we get one of these snapshots of God's salvation is Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. So hopefully you found Jonah there, and today we want to look at God's sovereign salvation of a sinking sinner. God's sovereign salvation of a sinking sinner. Now, if you remember from last week, we said that Jonah is a prophet of God in the nation of Israel, 
But instead of God calling him at this point to go to Israel and tell his own people God's word, he's been called to Nineveh. And as we read last week in study, Jonah does the opposite of what God called him to do. Instead of going to this foreign city, he goes the opposite direction and he is trying to get as far from God's presence as he can. He doesn't want to go there. We went ahead and jumped to chapter 4 and learned why he doesn't want to go there. It's not really because he's scared of them, even though they were somewhat of a scary people. It was primarily because he didn't want God to love them the way that he knew God loves people. He didn't want to be there and witness God turning from his wrath towards the Ninevites. He thought they deserved God's wrath, and he didn't want God to forgive, to turn from that wrath. And so he runs. He doesn't love the Ninevites as God loves the Ninevites, so he goes the other direction. But as we saw last week, God's love pursues us when we run. God's love pursues us when we run. Chapter 2, we're going to learn another lesson about God's love, and that lesson is this, that God's love saves us from death. The lesson we learn in chapter 2 about God's great love is that His love saves us from death. I want to read chapter 2, and then we'll walk through it together. Chapter 2, verse 1, begins this way, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So we pick up in chapter 2 with Jonah having been thrown overboard. And then we know what happens on the, on the ship. The sailors, as they see the storm stop, they worship Yahweh, the one true God. Well, what about Jonah? Chapter 1 just ended with this. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's how chapter 1 ends. Chapter 2, we, we, we get this interesting uh, poem, if you will, this, this song or prayer of praise to God. And we'll talk in just a moment about some of the parts of this prayer and where Jonah is when he's praying this and what he's trying to convey. But before we jump right in, I just want you to notice the emphasis on the work of God in this passage. There's a reason why I titled this message, The Sovereign Salvation of a Sinking Sinner. God's Sovereign Salvation. That word sovereign means that the one who is sovereign is in control. That is the one who is doing the work. And that's exactly what we see here in this passage. Just uh, 
if you will, scan down through, through there with me and notice all of God's actions. And look at verse uh, 3. Well, we could start with God appointing the fish back in verse 17. So God's the one who sends this fish to swallow up Jonah as he's sinking into the sea. Verse 3, for you, Jonah says, talking to God, cast me into the deep. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And we could, we could go on down and we could look in verse 6 and says, you brought up my life from the pit. And then we could skip on down a little bit more, and we learn about, in verse 8, it's God's steadfast love that brings salvation. And then notice how verse 9 ends, this prayer ends with this statement, salvation belongs to the Lord. That is one of my favorite lines in all of Scripture. You'll probably hear me say that from time to time. I won't always give Jonah the credit for it. But um, but salvation belongs to the Lord. It is his salvation. But here's the great thing about our God. He doesn't keep that salvation to himself. He shares it freely with us. We go ahead and say God's salvation is available to all who will call upon the name of the Lord. Scripture is so clear. That if we want to experience this great salvation, we must believe in Jesus Christ. And everyone who trusts in Jesus is a recipient of God's amazing, magnificent, sovereign salvation. We saw God's sovereignty all in chapter 1. It was, it was His storm that He sent. He sent the wind. He was sovereign over the casting of lots. He made the sea calm down. He was in charge and he is still in charge in chapter 2. Jonah's running from God will not thwart God's plans. He is in charge and he is in charge of his salvation. Five truths I want us to see this morning about God's sovereign salvation. And these are truths that should lead us to trust God's sovereign salvation. Please hear me. My goal this morning, and I pray that our goal this morning, is not simply to learn some truths about God's sovereign salvation and walk out of here saying, wow, I learned some things I didn't know. That is a good thing, but that is not the goal. The goal is not simply to learn about God's sovereign salvation, but it is to trust in God's salvation that he provides for us through Jesus. Truth number one, God's sovereign salvation gives a voice to the desperate. God's sovereign salvation gives a voice to the desperate. If, by the way, if you're taking notes, every one of these statements is going to begin with God's sovereign salvation gives. So if you just want to write that and then fill in underneath, that'll save you some time, okay? And, uh, and some lead or ink, depending on if you're using a pen or a pencil. Uh, God's sovereign salvation gives a voice to the desperate. Notice verse 1 and 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. So Jonah is, is in the fish while he's praying this, but he's recounting some events that happened right before the fish swallowed him. Okay, so maybe we wonder... What was going on once Jonah got tossed into the, the, the water? Was it immediate? As soon as he hit the water, a fish comes and swallows him? No, it seems like there was some time that elapsed. Maybe not a long time, but some time elapsed. There was time for Jonah 
to begin sinking and to begin drowning before the fish swallowed him. So as he's sinking, now he's in the fish, he's remembering what happened. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. Jonah is in a desperate situation. He says that he was in distress and that he was in the belly of Sheol. Sheol is is a Hebrew word that that refers to the grave. Jonah is simply saying, I was on my way to death. That's a desperate situation. And when you're in the middle of a sea, by yourself, really no hope of rescue. There's not a whole lot you can do on your own to provide rescue for yourself. Jonah is in a desperate situation. But in that desperate situation, he cries out. Now, it's one thing to be in a hopeless or desperate situation where your life is on the line. It's another thing to be in that situation and there not be anyone to hear your cry for help. I don't ever want to be in that situation, if I'm honest with you. But if I ever am, I, I, want to, I, want, I hope that there's someone around me that I can call out to and say, help, and there's someone that can hear me. We're lost in our sin. It's a desperate situation. And we need there to be someone who has the ability to save us and will hear us when we call out to Him. Can I tell you who that is? That is the God of the Bible. That is the God who created the heavens and the earth. He hears us when we cry out to Him. Amen? Isn't that, a, isn't that good news? That God hears us when we cry out to Him. Jonah's not the only one who experienced God hearing his cry of distress. I think about the nation of Israel. They're in Egypt, enslaved. And God said that their cry for rescue had come before Him. And so He raises up Moses to go and deliver his people from slavery. God heard their cry. Our God is a God who hears our desperate cries for help. I am so thankful for that. We see that all throughout the Psalms. Just a quick sampling. Psalm chapter 3, verse 4. I cried aloud to the Lord and He answered me from His holy hill. Psalm chapter 4, verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief. When I was in distress, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Psalm chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. My King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. In Psalm chapter 6, verses 8 through 9. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. We serve a God who hears us when we call out to Him in our desperation. Truth number two about God's sovereign salvation. God's sovereign salvation gives hope to the exiled. God's sovereign salvation gives hope to the exiled. Notice where Jonah goes now in his prayer. Verse 3 and 4. For you cast me into the deep. Again, it's God, he says, who cast him into the deep. That's interesting there, because who was it that threw Jonah into the water? 
Well, the sailors, you remember chapter one? They're the ones who literally picked them up and tossed them into the water. But Jonah doesn't say, God, those those guys on the ship threw me in the water. He says, you cast me into the water. Jonah knows that God is sovereign over this situation. God is trying to teach his prophet a lesson about his love. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. So notice this, that Jonah is now in, in the ocean and, 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 the, and the waves are coming and, and he is beginning his journey down. He's beginning his journey down to the bottom of the sea. Verse 4, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. I don't know if you've ever been a, in a helpless or hopeless situation But Jonah was in a hopeless situation, not only because his life was on the line as he is beginning to drown, but he recognizes that he is being driven away from God's sight. The most dangerous place that you and I could ever be is separated from God. To be exiled from God. Jonah, (laughs) The one who was trying to run from God's presence is now experiencing this separation. And he's saying, I'm being driven away from your sight. Can I tell you something? Every one of us comes into this world having been driven away from God. It started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. The same word, same Hebrew word, that Jonah uses to say, I am driven away from your sight, is the same word used in Genesis that says that Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden. You see, our sin separates us from God. They disobeyed God, and so He drove them out of His paradise. He kicked them out of His presence. There was a separation that existed because of sin. And Jonah is beginning to experience that. He's saying, I'm driven away from your sight. Here's the bad news. There is nothing that you and I can do to get ourselves back in to God's paradise. To get ourselves back in to God's kingdom. To get ourselves back in to God's presence. Our sin separates us For all of eternity. Unless, unless God intervenes. It's a very hopeless and helpless situation as he is experiencing this exile. But notice the way verse 4 ends. He says, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. That's very interesting. And that is good news. I want you to notice the hope that Jonah has, even as he is sinking into the sea. Remember why he is sinking. Because of his own actions, his own disobedience, his own rebellion. God said, go to Nineveh, and Jonah went the opposite direction. And now he is experiencing the consequences of his actions. And yet in the midst of this, and Jonah, he, he, he was a smart guy when it came to things of God. He was a prophet. He knew that he deserved this. 
There's no, 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 nothing that would hint at the fact that Jonah doesn't think that he deserves this. He knows that he deserves this. He knows that he is run from God. And yet, even as he knows that he is experiencing the just consequences for his actions, he is clinging to some kind of hope. How can he have hope? He is getting what he deserves. He deserves to stay at the bottom of the sea. He deserves to experience this death. He deserves to remain exiled from God, but he clings to this hope that he will one day again look upon the temple. That is conveying this, this, uh, this idea that Jonah will one day communicate again with God. That this relationship with the God of creation will be preserved. In other words, that God will not reject him forever. How can he have such a hope? Because the God that we serve is a God who is full of love. It's a God who loves sinners. He's a God who pursues us when we run. And he's a God who saves us when we are sinking. That is the God that we serve. He not only gives us a hearing with him so that we have a voice. He gives us the hope of salvation. And that was the hope that Jonah was clinging to. Somehow there is still hope. When we are separated from God, listen to me, sinner. There's hope. Today, you know that you are separated from God because of your sin. Please hear me. There is hope. There is hope. But let's keep going. Truth number three. It just gets better and better, y'all. God's sovereign salvation gives life to the dying. God's sovereign salvation gives life to the dying. Can I just say that one more time just because I love to say it? Because it's just a beautiful truth. God's sovereign salvation gives life to the dying. Notice verses 5 and 6. The water's closed in over me. He's clinging to this hope, but he's still sinking. The water's closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. His situation is getting worse and worse. It's been getting worse since he made that first move towards Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh in chapter 1, verse 3. It's been getting worse and worse and worse. He is on this downward spiral. Remember back in chapter 1, God says go to Nineveh. And it says that he went down to Joppa. Then he goes down to the ship. And then he goes down into the heart of the ship. And then he gets cast into the sea. And he begins to go down, 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 further and further into the ocean. And he knows that time is short. There are only seconds left between him and death. Engulfed, surrounded, wrapped up. That's the language that he uses here. He's hopelessly entangled in the consequences of his sin. And I wonder today if there's someone here who's hopelessly entangled in the consequences of your sin. See, Scripture is very, very clear. Hear me out. Very, very clear. 
We all have sinned. And that the wages of sin is death. Not just a physical death, and then you kind of cease to exist. But eternal, spiritual death. Experiencing the wrath of God for your sins for all of eternity. It's not because God is mean. It's because He is just and righteous. And that is what you and I deserve. We're entangled in the consequences of our sin. That word forever, whose bars closed upon me forever, is a legal term referring to something that is unalterable. Except that God, the God of sovereign salvation, and He has the power to alter the consequences of our sin. Notice the end of verse 6. When Jonah is at the end, he is seconds between death, between him and death. He says, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. That is the good news of the gospel. That we are sinking in our sin and there is nothing that we can do to save us. But God miraculously brings up our life from death. He gives us new life. He gives us eternal life. God reverses Jonah's downward spiral and He can reverse your downward spiral today. He's a God. That in His sovereign salvation gives life when there should be death. Some of you have experienced that new life. Many of you have experienced that new life. And you know what a blessing it is. Some of you today may need to experience that new life. The only God can give. He gives life to the dying. Number four. God's sovereign salvation gives glory to the true God. God's sovereign salvation gives glory to the true God. Jonah has just recounted his sinking, his crying out, the hope that he clings to, the life that he has given. And then verses 7 through 9 begin to wrap up this song or prayer, if you will. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. I remember the Lord. The word order there literally is the Lord I remember. The emphasis again is placed on God. It's placed on the one true God. The Lord I remembered. And that remembering isn't just like, oh, I remember that I was supposed to take out the trash. This is a this is a remembering that we see all throughout Scripture commanded of God's people. He constantly tells them, remember me. He tells the nation of Israel, remember that I delivered you. This remembering is a remembering that, that is a plea for help and a faith in the one that he is remembering. I remember the Lord. That means I, I trusted the Lord when my life was fainting away. My prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Then notice verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Maybe you're here today and you say, hey, this is hey, good stuff. You know, I'm, I'm glad that God 
you know, loves people and that he saves us from our sin. Uh, but, you know, there are other ways. Uh, you know, there are other ways. I don't really have to, I don't have to go this Christian route. I don't have to go this Jesus route. I, there, there are other ways that I can, I can make up for my, for my mistakes, for my sins. Uh, there are other things that I can, I can trust in. Verse 8 says, no, there's not. There is one God who is sovereign to save. There is one God who is great in steadfast love. And He alone can save. He's the only one. Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols... It's a great description of an idol. That that word vain is really a combination of two words in the original language. The the first word is the word for vapor, a a meaninglessness. It's insubstantial. It's purposeless. And the second word is a word that means emptiness or worthlessness. In other words, this idol, these idols, whatever thing you're trusting in besides the Lord Jesus Christ can't do anything because it is nothing. It can't do anything because it is nothing. Only God has steadfast love. You know, when you're in a desperate situation and you're in need of rescue, there are three things you need in the person that you're going to cry out to. Number one, you need that person to be able to hear you. Number two, you need that person to have the ability to save you. And number three, you need that person to love you enough to come and rescue you. Thankfully, in God's providence, that day that I was sitting in that recliner, my mom cried out for help on behalf of my little sister. I was in the room and I could hear step number one. I could hear. Step number two, somewhere along the way, I had learned how to do the Heimlich maneuver. And so I, I had the ability. I was strong enough and, and I knew what to do. I heard the cry for help. I had the ability and number three, you guarantee that I loved her enough to get in there as quick as I could and rescue her. Who else will do that for us in our sin? Only God. God hears our cry for mercy and help. God has the ability to save. He is powerful to save and He has done everything that is necessary. He has sent His one and only Son. Notice how Jonah closes this. After he says that he's going to worship God, he's going to, he's going to worship God in verse 9. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. I love the name of Jesus. It literally means salvation. Yeshua. That's the word salvation here. Yeshua. It's the Hebrew name for Jesus. It's the name that was given to him by the angel Gabriel. And you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. God has the ability to save. He's done everything that is necessary. Why? Because of his great love. He hears us. He has the ability. And he has loved us. God so loved the world. That He sent His one and only Son so that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. This is the God that we serve. And He gets all the glory. 
And in the meantime, we get the benefit of being rescued forever. Number five. Chapter two wraps up with these words. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Number five. God's sovereign salvation gives rescue to the sinking sinner. God's sovereign salvation gives rescue to the sinking sinner. Now, there's a lot going on in this, in this story here. Jonah still doesn't have his heart in the right spot. And we'll talk about that in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And there could be an element of God's judgment even in the fact of how God rescued him. I mean, he got vomited out by fish. Even, even vomit, the, the, the act of swallowing and, and the words of vomiting are used. I know it's gross to talk about, but that's the words that are here, okay? Um, those words are used throughout Scripture to speak of God's judgment. And so there is a sense in which Jonah's heart is still right, not right, and God's not done teaching him a lesson. He's not done. We're only at chapter 2, all right? We still got chapter 3 and 4 to go. Not today, but we got those to come. However, that great fish was a means of rescue. Jonah would have perished if God had not intervened. You know, the same is true for you and for me. Can you listen closely? Just a moment. We all are sinking in our sin, apart from divine rescue. You can swim as much as you want. You can crawl and climb and try to get back to the surface. You can try to work your way back to God. But you will never succeed. We are eternally separated from God unless God intervenes. And He has by sending His one and only Son to pay the price for your sin and for my sin. And then here's what He requires of us. He requires that we would trust that what Jesus did on the cross is enough to rescue us from our sin. God's Word is so clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift that God gives us. And we simply receive it. How do we receive it? I think we receive it the exact same way we see in Jonah chapter 2. We cry out to a God who hears us. We lift our voices and say, God, I need you to rescue me. And God, I have hope in you. I trust That you will give me life. You will give me everlasting life. Not because I deserve it, but because of who you are. And so you will get all the glory for saving me, God. And I will be the glad recipient of your sovereign salvation as I trust in Jesus Christ. Confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. Scripture says we will be saved. As we close, I want you to think for just a moment. 
Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation? Not have you said a prayer? Not have you read the Bible? Not have you tried to do some good things? Not have you been to church or been a faithful attender of church or joined a church or been baptized? None of that. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation? Have you entrusted your life to him? Have you cried out and said, God, I'm a sinner and I need you to save me? Here's the good news. God has given you an opportunity today. He has given you this opportunity. And we may not have another opportunity. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what the next five minutes hold. But He, in His grace, has given us now to respond to His call of salvation. He is sovereign to save. He will do it. If we will but repent of our sin and trust in Him. Do you need to be saved today? Do you need this great salvation? In a moment, we're going to bow our heads, we're going to close our eyes, and we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. If this is you, then right where you're sitting, cry out to the Lord. Tell Him that you have sinned. He already knows it. Just confess it to Him. And ask Him to save you. Not because you're good enough, but because He loves you enough. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment that You have given us, God, before time began, You knew You would send Your Son to provide rescue for us. And before time began, you knew that each one of us would come into this world and would be sinners. And before time began, you knew that we would have this moment right here, right now. Where every one of us would hear the gospel, the good news message of salvation. Father, our prayer, my prayer right now is that if there is anyone here who has never trusted in Jesus and been saved, maybe they've pretended that they have been, maybe they've just been running and they know that they're not saved, they know that, that they've never been close to being saved. Father, wherever they're at, Father, they know that they are being entangled in the consequences of their sin. And the just penalty is a forever death. Father, I pray right now that in your mercy and your love, your spirit would convict their heart. That they would turn to Jesus. The Lord of salvation. The one who came to save. And they would cry out. Father, we know that if they do, they cry out to you for salvation that you will save. Father, right now I pray 
that that person would cry out to you. And that salvation would come to this house today. Father, for those of us who have experienced salvation, Father, remind us of how lost we were. So that we'll be reminded of how great you love. So that we'll be led to worship you with our lives as you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.